This JMR podcast is sponsored by the Journal of Medical Regulation, serving for over a century as the premier publication on physician licensure, discipline, and regulation. To learn more, visit jmronline.org. Welcome to the JMR podcast. I'm David Johnson, your host for today's podcast. We are recording on November 7th, 2022, and my guests today are Dr. Gordon Giddings, an assistant registrar at the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta, Dr. Jeremy Beach, also a phys- assistant registrar at the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta, and Fasayo Aruluba, a third-year medical student at the University of Alberta's Faculty of Medicine and Dentistry and the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta. My guests are the authors on the article, Do Medical Licensing Questions on Health Conditions Pose a Barrier to Physicians Seeking Treatment? That article appears in the current issue of the Journal of Medical Regulation. So everyone, uh, first of all, welcome to the JMR podcast. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Now, before we go into the specifics of your article, I I wondered if perhaps you could talk a little bit about how it is you came to focus on this particular line of research at this time. Sure, thanks. So this is a question that has periodically come up within physician health and and it continues to be quite topical. Uh, The issue of striking a balance between the duty to protect the public and not disadvantaging a physician from seeking the help that they need. You know, we don't want problems buried because physicians don't want their licenses affected, for instance. And I think historically, questions were fairly rigid uh, and also uncovered a lot of unnecessary information that wasn't pertinent to fitness to practice. So for us, this is in part about ensuring that if we're asking about fitness, we're asking about relevant things, and in a way that's that's fair. And I think the other part of this is that it's, it's an example of interdepartmental collaboration at the College of Physicians and Surgeons, which happens quite uncommonly because of, of firewalls between a number of our departments with sensitive and confidential information. And I think we were also very lucky to have Fasayo put up her hand for this experience because of her her competence and her skill level, but but also because it allowed us to take some steps in engaging medical learners in a way that breaks down some of the, the perceptions of the college as being all about discipline or, or punitive measures, but allowed our medical learners to take on something of a leadership role in this space uh, and that's something that i'm very proud of well help uh, thank you that's very helpful and it sounds like this has presented itself as a nice collaborative opportunity on several levels um why don't we start with some basics though um this is actually uh, this article is a literature review and i wonder if perhaps for the benefit of board staff in some instances or perhaps public members who may be less familiar, frankly, with the concept. Can you explain what a a literature review involves? Uh, How common are these? What's the utility of something like this? 
I can't answer this question. So um, a literature review is essentially an overview, um, a summary, and an evaluation of the current state of knowledge on a very specific topic. So they're quite important because they tell us what's already known about a topic and um, how others have approached um, solving a problem in the past. It also gives the reader a critical overview of um, I guess what's already existing and helps us find out what is missing from that current knowledge um, from that specific topic. And I would say that a literature review covers a range of things um, from a, what is known as a brief narrative review, which is usually more useful in obtaining um, more of a broad perspective on a topic. So um, for me as a student, this is mostly what I was exposed to and what um, I would um, partake in when trying to find a body of knowledge on a very specific topic. Um, and I would say that this literature review is more so a systematic review, um, which required a more rigorous approach. So for example, um, I needed to have more detailed documentations on the things that I searched for, um, what databases that I used to find the papers that I reviewed, um, and making sure to have an inclusion or um, and an exclusion criteria, all to ensure that it's my methodology and the work done is more reproducible for someone to go um, and basically take the steps that were done in the methods. Got it. So, so for those that aren't as familiar with something like this, is obviously a very highly structured process, uh, it, it sounds like. I would agree. It is, and I think credit to Vizio, she did an awful lot of work uh, in the background, um, collecting all the information together, understanding it, and um, reframing it in a way to try and answer the question we were addressing. Excellent. Well, let, let's get right to some of the, the key findings then. What could you share or summarize what do you believe are some of the key findings from this literature review you conducted? Uh, for sure. I can also start <laughs> out. So as um, Gordon had mentioned, um, we were looking to see if licensure disclosure questions acted as a barrier for physicians seeking care. Um, and we know that the purpose of these questions are to detect illnesses that can um, impair a physician's ability to practice or treat a patient effectively. And I would say that one of the major findings of this paper was that um, these questions could actually pose a barrier and make physicians more reluctant to seek help for illnesses that they otherwise would. And in order to minimize it, um, and also looking at the standards highlighted in the review paper, or the papers reviewed, um, a key takeaway would be for reg regulatory bodies to phrase their questions in such a way that um, focus is shifted away from the conditions themselves, so usually in this case mental conditions or psychiatric conditions, and putting that focus on um, functionality and the ability to provide competent care that's in line with the required standards when um, coming up with a question. Uh, so instead of asking for a past diagnosis or um, potential ability for an illness to impact future ability to practice, we would be asking for the impact of their illness on their current ability to practice. 
Got it. So impact and not simply a prior history. And, and certainly timeliness is, you know, something that's happening now as opposed to five or ten years ago, it sounds like. Yes, exactly. If I step back for a moment, though, this, this does seem like it's a bit of a tricky balance for a regulatory board because, you know, on the one hand, these mental health questions do seem relevant to at least the current ability of a practitioner to provide safe care. And yet, on the other hand, these questions do seem to perhaps inadvertently suppress someone's willingness to seek treatment, just fear of the repercussions. So I'm wondering, how does a regulatory board sort of get this right if they're going to have these questions? That's a really good question, and I'm, I'm not sure that we have uh, a good answer for you here. There certainly is more work that's needed in, in figuring out exactly where that balance sits. Uh, I think I would begin just uh, as a, a healthcare professional by encouraging my colleagues to seek the very care that they provide. And, and I would also use the analogy of how, for instance, a mechanic may be the person that drives the worst vehicle or when you're on a plane and the flight instructions are to put on your own mask before assisting someone else so you know the the responsibility to take care of ourselves is spelled out in the code of ethics um and and i'd still come back to the college's role to protect the public uh, and we know that the health of the practitioner is linked to the quality of the interaction and care. Right. And we know that there's a stigma uh, and the need in, in particular to recognize the impacts uh, of that and stress on our personal mental health. So, so the aim ultimately is a healthy provider and a healthy patient. I, if I can just butt in a little bit, I think that last point that Gordon made is actually very important because usually, in fact, the interests of the physician and the patient are very closely aligned. You know, you've got a physician in good health and that usually leads to good treatment for the patient as well. So I think that's the important thing to remember. It's only very rarely there's a divergence in the interests of the physician and the patient. Your, your article noted studies that documented that fears about mental health-related questions seem to extend as far back or exist as early as when someone is in medical school, which you know is, is somewhat surprising, I think. Can you talk a little bit about this and you know why that is? Yeah, so being a medical student currently, um, I can expand on this. So I believe one of the studies that was mentioned in the review paper had found that around 51% of medical students who perceived that they had mental health diagnosis um, reported that they would not disclose um, their information to a regulatory body. And some of the reasons that were provided were um, this fear of stigmatization, fear of them having to deal with repercussions. Um, there was a belief that you know this disclosure was not relevant to their ability to practice. And um, there was also the fear that it could impact their ability to um, receive their license upon completing their training. Um, and more anecdotally, even um, with the recent conversation with one of my peers, one of my classmates, mm -hmm. who is currently undergoing um, some difficulties, they were quite adamant about not wanting to seek help 
um, with the resources that were provided to us as students um, for fear that it would be used against them in the future. Um, there was fear that, you know, their emotions would be pathologized or that there would be documentation on academic, on their academic record. Um, and some of the other things that I've heard students talk about to bring up was just fear of unnecessary or, un or like unwanted intervention. They don't really want to be seen as impaired. Um, they're afraid that this would impact um, their perceived credibility. So I know that a lot of this probably still surrounds the stigma that's very much present in the medical community, um, as well as just in the larger society as a whole. And I think a lot of that contributes to why students are very reluctant to disclose um, their illness. You know, that, that's interesting because a, a couple of times you used the word stigma, and, and that reminds me of, a, of another question I had that was specific to a study you mentioned in your article, one by uh, uh, Aronson and his colleagues that I just I really found striking. That study underscored physicians' concerns for stigma, specifically associated with mental health issues and treatment. And in fact, I, I find it I found it very striking that the physicians' greatest concern in that study was actually around the loss of confidentiality should they share or confide this information, and their, the judgment of their peers. That that was far a far greater fear than even from the licensing perspective, which. Uh, if you will, I, I guess to me it suggests that there's perhaps a lot of work to do yet, frankly, within the culture of medicine itself about stigma. Uh, I think that's absolutely correct. Uh, I, I've been around medicine long enough, qualified nearly 40 years ago, that I can see there's been some change in sort of the culture of medicine the acceptability that physicians can have illnesses themselves uh, but there's still a pretty macho tough it out type culture I think for physicians not just restricted to physicians and on top of that I think there is this phenomenon where there is shame associated with some illnesses um, and I think you know you, you've really got to talk about that and somehow destigmatize these illnesses make people realize that physicians are human and they're all the better for it and part of the human condition is you do get ill sometimes and uh, hopefully this paper can um, start to reduce some of those cultural mores that exist within medicine around denying illness in the physicians themselves um, because as I say I think the humanity of physicians is an important um, component of being a good doctor really um, it, it's it's a very instructive experience to have an illness yourself. Well, let, let me finish with this question. What, what would you like for either a board member or a staff member from a regulatory board, whether it's one of the provinces in uh, Canada, one of the states or territories in the U.S.? What would you like for a board member or a staff member to take away from this conversation and, and, and your article? Well, the theme that's most resonant for me is not equating illness with shame. Uh, there's no need for stigma. You know, over the last few years, we're all seeing an increase in presentations, whether it be mental health, whether it be burnout, 
and we don't want to put up barriers to physicians accessing care. So for me, I'll, I'll, I'll go, I think what it brings out for me is that even something as superficially simple as these questions on an annual renewal form really does need a thoughtful approach and it's, it's quite a complex situation with the best way to ask these but I, I would as, as well come back to Gordon's point I think it's important that we somehow get to a position where physicians aren't a victim of the culture of medicine aren't a victim of their own stigma don't refuse to seek treatment or don't delay seeking treatment because of the shame associated with illness and uh, fears really around what's going to happen to the license I, I would like to think that um, regulatory bodies will deal with these issues in a transparent fair and equitable way yeah I would have to agree with everything that both Gordon and um, Jerry have said um, I know that there have been progress made in the medical community in regards to um, stigma and also just even treatment and management of mental illness. But um, as was mentioned earlier, a lot of our conversation has surrounded the stigma associated with these mental conditions. And I think, um, not really saying anything new, but I, I do agree that uh, physicians and the medical community would be improved with working towards reducing the stigma associated with mental illnesses. Well, thank you, everyone. I, I appreciate our guests for joining us today and for our listeners. You'll be able to find their article in the current issue of JMR, which is available at jmronline.org. Thank you, everyone. Hope you will join us for our next JMR podcast and have a great day. This JMR podcast is sponsored by the Journal of Medical Regulation, serving for over a century as the premier publication on physician licensure, discipline, and regulation. To learn more, visit jmronline.org.